month or two months before starting flight school where I was like stationed at the, at the U.S. Army Flight School in Alabama. And I was, you know, you just kind of like wait around doing odd jobs while you're waiting for your, for your class date to start. And the Army Research Center was located also where, ABA, where the flight school was. And they had different, uh, different research trials that you could sign up to be a part of for, for the army and like things like sleep deprivation trials or, you know, different, different kinds of things like that. And I, um, they also paid you and I was like a broke, you know, second Lieutenant, like fresh, you know, fresh college grad, newlywed also. And yeah. it's like, Oh, let me sign up for for this one. It was, it was $500. I remember they paid us $500 and it was a three day study. Um, it was a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And on, and, and what they were trying to to figure out is what medicine they could give you or like a, a medic, like an army medic in the, when you're deployed can, can carry on them that can enable you to, um, like if you're injured or wounded to get a medicine and that allows you to like still operate in the military environment, you know, assuming you're still able to function, um, yeah. and also still like still operate and be able to do the military, you know, skills that you're required to do. So they gave us, um, on, on three different days, one day was a shot of, uh, uh, morphine. One day was a placebo and one day was a shot of ketamine. And before we went through those days, we did like a baseline where, you know, no, no shot of anything. And they, they put us on a, on a range with a gun and how well could we shoot and how well could we qualify shoot or don't shoot drills and putting on a gas mask and dialing a, a nine, like a nine line med medical evacuation call, like different things like that. And, yeah. and so we, then after the baseline, we had three days, like a morphine, a placebo, a ketamine, they didn't tell you which was which, but it was very obvious. That's, that's the other problem with clinical trials for psychedelics. It's very obvious when you're on a placebo <laughs> and it's very obvious when you're not. <laughs> so we get this shot, which I know was ketamine. Everybody's like, there's three of us participating. We're just like cracking up and laughing. Like you're all of a sudden filled with this, with a lot of, I don't know, just joy and, and, and uh, humor. I don't know what it was. And then we went and still had to do all the different, you know, do all the different military drills and by, and, and it was actually pretty interesting how effective, um, I, I was <laughs> like with a, with a gun on ketamine. And then after that, they kept you in a room for like, um, eight hours taking your vitals. You know, it was like, it's like, I can't believe the military paid me for this because the room was like wall to wall. It was like a stoner's paradise. It was like floor to ceiling, little Debbie's and like freezers full of you know, frozen burritos and pizza and like, um, you know, guitar hero games and a pool table and big screen TV. They just want to keep you there to like <laughs> chill while they monitor you. I was like, all right, it's the best 500 bucks I ever made. <laughs> Can't have that on active duty. <laughs> it's just yeah, like, you know, middle duty. of the battle. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like in a battlefield, you know, a burrito comes out of nowhere after you get the ketamine. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. But so you said that was you became more effective in your like at the gun range when you were on ketamine. Not not necessarily more effective. I I mean I mean I was surprisingly effective. Like I don't think okay. my ability to to like to, to like we would do these shoot or don't shoot drills where you're, yeah. there was a, a virtual range and you have like um, an electronic like M nine right um, pistol in your hand and. And, mm -hmm. you know, the range registers with what you're shooting on, you get the recoil and everything else, but you're not shooting real bullets, but you're seeing, you know, it'll, it'll pop up like, you know, pictures of friendlies versus, you know, like soldiers and civilians versus like enemy forces and how quickly can you respond and like, you know, no, no, in a split second, whether you're, whether you're shooting the right. And, 
for, fortunately I was in the, like I served as a pilot. So, you know, like shooting at people was never part of my job, which, you know, I'm, I'm very, very grateful that I didn't end up serving in the military in that function and have to, you know, live, live with the realities of, yeah. of having to participate in, in warfare in that way. Like, you know, having to live with taking somebody's life. I, I didn't have to do that mm -hmm. because that's, you know, it is, it's not, it's definitely never what I wanted to do out of being in the military, but um, at any rate, I was always a good shot on the range. So it was interesting to see, like, once you're, in, once you're injected with drugs, how good, how good can you shoot? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Right. You know, we've interviewed some people in the military before, and they mentioned that whether or not you actually are in active duty, just the, the drills themselves can be sometimes triggering and cause their own trauma. You know, the simulations, that's what, that's what we've heard from people. So um, what do you say? What do you agree with that? That to an extent, everyone who served in the military has has some kind of trauma? Or... It's a good question. I, I, I think that everyone who serves, I think everyone in life has trauma, mm -hmm, whether, yeah. whether you think you had like the most blissful childhood or not, or you were part of a broken home or whatever, it doesn't matter. Like there's some, there's something that happens when we're young that doesn't fully materialize until we're older. And then I call it, there's a, a period of unlearning that you have to go through and figure out, you know, like that time when you find out, when you fully realize that your parents aren't always right or something like that, mm -hmm. you know, there's like this <laughs> time where you have these realizations that you're like, geez, man, my entire perspective on life was made <laughs> like, like, why is it this way? Oh, maybe because somebody made fun of me when I was a kid and now like that surfaced and how I, whatever, you know, we all have trauma yeah. in some way or another. I think, um, whether I think military induced trauma or, or trauma from, from being in like the, the combat arms, um, there's always going to be a, some sort of trauma. I think that's associated that comes from that. Um, I think I'm, it's interesting that you phrased it from training or just being going through training versus like actually being in war. Cause I would even differentiate another step and saying like, um, being in combat or like in, you know, in actual like war and experiencing, you know, rockets launching at you and shooting at people or being shot at, you know, actually experiencing that fear, that, fe that fear of your life and fear of the people next to you. And these questions of like, why am I like, why, why am I here? Like in a battlefield, <laughs> yeah. like 2023, you know, like, what are we doing? <laughs> Haven't we, is there world peace yet? And there's like that aspect, but then there's like, um, there's something called, uh, moral, moral injury, which I think mm -hmm, I, yeah. I suffered with to a significant extent more so than I recognized. Um, and maybe most people do that go through it. Then like the actual P like I was, I was diagnosed with PTSD from the VA, um, like four or five years after leaving the military. And it was, it was impacting me significantly. That was before I, I found um, my way to psychedelics, but yeah, I, you know, I was shot at, I did have um, rocket attacks. You know, I lived on a base in Afghanistan for nine months. I did experience like I flew out, you know, helicopters to Afghanistan. I saw helicopters get shot down, like managed re recovery operations and rescue operations, all that kind of stuff. That yeah. was certainly intense. There's like PTSD, I think associated with that. But then there's the other aspect of the, the moral injury is like, like, you know, you're not really, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a benefit to government and, and leadership in the military to have individuals like really ruminating about, oh, like 
what is the philosophy or the justification of why we're in this war or whatever? Like, mm-hmm. that's not, you're like, do what you said. Like, you're on the line, right? <laughs> load the weapons. Like, <laughs> like yeah. we can have the philosophical conversations later. But when later happens and you're out of the military and you're like, why? Like, why was I away from my, my family for so long? Like, why did, like, why did I see, you know, so much destruction in another country? Like, what was the benefit? Oh, we're pulling out, you know, after doing this for 20 years and we wasted a bunch of money and, you know, then the, the Taliban just takes right back over. Like, how do I feel about it? Right. It's like those deep, those deep questions mm-hmm. that bug you late, late yeah. at night when you're like, mm-hmm. what was I doing there, man? I was I was 17 years old when I signed up to be in the military. What? I was a, I was a baby. Yeah, that is insane. So I do think I do think there is the aspect that that trauma um, comes like it's gonna it's gonna surface one way or another. But I think for me, I, I do remember like going to the range. I mean, I've shot tens of thousands of rounds, of all sorts, you know, like missiles and rockets to just you know handguns, machine guns, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I never, I know I never liked having a gun in my hand. It like never, it was like almost, it was almost like sad. I don't know if you've been in a Costa Rica before, but no. they don't have a military. They mm. disbanded their military, I think in the 1940s or something like that. And they instead invested in education. So they said, okay, we're going to, we're going to invest in people instead of like spending money on, on the, on the, on the whole, the war environment. And yeah. you know, the military. And so I remember thinking what a novel idea that was when I went, when I actually visited there after I had left the military, but thinking about how, like, when you think back to, you know, being 17 years old and going to basic training and having them put a gun in your hand and, you know, you're shooting at silhouettes of human beings, you know, on a, or even like the shooter don't shoot drills that I was telling you about where it's like, mm-hmm. Where it's like, all right, like just because we're putting a human being in a certain outfit that resembles the type of clothing that the enemy that we're fighting wears, like we're just kind of like building these, like pounding in these thoughts into people's heads about, you know, to, to young impressionable minds, right? Most people that join the mm-hmm. military are late teens or twenties, right? Impressionable yeah. people's minds that represent the country that you know that 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 we live in and that you know we're 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 part of. And, you know, it's not the same as like, say, World War Two, where, you know, you can kind of understand mm-hmm. Japan came and like literally bombed Hawaii, like killed people in the US. And you're like, you can understand there's this fear, okay, well, they can come into our country. But now we're in the US where we're pretty coast to coast safe, right? Like where you have this, these, these, these oceans that keep us safe. And, and we're fighting in a, in a war, you know, at least the war on terror, you know, over the last mm-hmm. two decades, that's in another yeah. country that's so far removed, except for the, the World Trade Center, you know, mm-hmm. attacks yeah, happened in 2001, but you still feel kind of confused about, I think if you, it, when, you know, when, when, the, when all the, uh, everything stops turning and things come to a stop, you're like, wow, like it is, it is still kind of crazy and sad that we live in a time in life where I think violence is at an all-time low comparatively in the history of the world, but mm-hmm. that we still have an entire like war industry and there's still, you know, there's still Ukraine happening. There's still Israel and Palestine happening. And, and it's, it's just a human condition. I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever change, but I think there's just the shared, shared trauma that goes along with, with that as a, as a society or community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and on that point also like speaking of societies the trauma like finds a way to connect us as well because like the way now you're talking about it and you've it sounds like you've really thought about the whole situation of of what the war on terror has been like what's the real reason behind it um has was it actually a, a good decision you thought it through and now like you've done a lot of self-reflection which a lot of people when they first joined the army probably don't have that going through them They're, they don't have that awareness because like you said they are very impressionable impressionable young minds and at the same time they're easily distracted so like once they join the army they're distracted by all of like what the army is telling them they can they can get and at that age you'll just say yes to anything uh but i do want to go back a bit to the point when you said you were diagnosed with ptsd how did you how did you become aware of that like what were the symptoms you noticed and what made you want to go get checked mm -hmm. it's a great great question that and and i really appreciate that question because i think i think being exposed to to learning about to to learning about yourself and the causes of your ptsd and trauma like that's this that's the first step to healing right you have to you have to open your mind up to the fact that things aren't yeah aren't so aren't aren't perfect you know for anybody but certainly that you have everybody and when you're thinking about yourself you know, i have a healing journey to go on and how much effort and emphasis do i put on that do how do i know whether something is really wrong with me or or i'm just like everybody else and everybody has problems and i'm just like it's my turn to you know now i'm up to confront it or something like that and for for me the way yeah. that it worked was i mean I, I, I went to get I went to see the VA, right? I was already in the VA medical system. The VA is the veteran affairs and it's the, you know, they, they do a lot of things for, for us veterans, but one of the largest things is, is medical care. So if you're in the, if you're a veteran and you get out of the military and you have a service connected disability, um, which means you have any sort of ailment that is tied to your time in the military then you can get healthcare from the, from the VA for the rest of your life in most cases. So for me, I left the military and I think I had, uh, I was rated, it's like as, as a percentage of 10, 10% increment. So I was rated at 40% um, disabled. And that was a combination of like some injuries to my back, um, a deviated septum, wow. you know, some, some things like that, like tinnitus, like ringing in your ears, so things yeah. like that, that happen over time. And I didn't, go in to be seen for my mental health in any way. Like it was, it was not, uh, something that I was even ready to admit that I needed to do. And then it wasn't until mm -hmm. about four years after getting out of the military and a lot of hardship that I finally went to go seen get seen by the VA and they, um, rated me for like, I think I'm a, over 70% disabled right now, um, due to PTSD. And the, oh, wow. the way that that worked and, and over 2 million veterans actually in the U S have, um, rated, uh, are, are diagnosed with PTSD. And then there's, you know, other things that are associated with it, like depression and, um, anxiety and substance abuse disorder, right. That, that can come as a result of PTSD, but PTSD being kind of the, 
the 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 primary illness and then you know that's based on other some traumas that you had and experienced while you're in the military and then you get out of the military and you have some sort of hardship in living or your ability to process things because you're tied to some some traumatic experiences so for me i mean i had i had trauma right from like right from my very first memory in life i i'd lost my father to suicide actually when i was four years old and that sent me like that well, kind of tore apart to my family. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I was, I mean, it, for me, it was like, it's, that was just the story of it's kind of like my origin story. I mean, it was the very first memory I have in life was, was my, was that morning waking up and then going to my father's funeral. And, um, and actually you guys, you guys are Lebanese. Is that, mm -hmm. is that right? Yeah. You're both Lebanese. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, interestingly, my father was, a was, a um, was a Christian Arab, um, Israeli. So he was born. So I was actually also, I was born in Jerusalem and my really? mother was nice. an American Jew. And she went to, when she was like 19, she rebelled and she went to, uh, Israel and met my father while she was at a university there. And he was an Arab and she was a Jew and they got married. They had to like, I think they had to go to Cyprus or something like that. They had to like leave uh, Israel. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't like it was forbidden for them to marry each other. And then they got married and yeah. they had my sister, they had me, they moved to the U S when I was two. And I think my father had a whole lot of, a, a lot of hardship, like assimilating both into a new culture and into a new real religion. And, you know, I don't know what all the, all that happened there, but he ended up taking his life when, when I was four years old and that launched me into a very chaotic childhood, a lot of therapy. Uh, eventually my parents, my mom, my stepdad sent me to a military high school when I was um, halfway through my freshman year of high school. So I spent the rest of high school like in a military environment and boarding school and decided to take um, like the, the discipline was actually very good for me. And I decided uh, that I wanted to go to West Point, which is the U.S. Military Academy. It's like one of the top academies in the world. And you graduate yeah. as an officer in the, in the army afterward. And so I, I made that my mission to, you know, get my grades really good and do my sports and extracurricular activities so I could, you know, get into this really difficult school to get into. And then take that as kind of my opportunity to to figure out what I want to do in life, but take my life into my own hands and not feel like I was reliant mm -hmm. anymore on my parents. And so I went through four years at West Point, you know, did did very well there, graduated, became an aviation officer. And I went to Ranger School. I was an Army Ranger. And, you know, shortly after when I was 24, I deployed to Afghanistan and I was in charge of, you know, a bunch of people and helicopters and flying missions. And, you know, it was it was it was just like what I was describing before, just tons of um, intense, you know, I was, I was working all day, every day in an operations center, flying in a helicopter, you know, dealing with enemy reports and, you know, deal, just dealing, just doing war for nine months, essentially. And I got yeah. back and I served for another, uh, four years, uh, three, uh, three years after getting back from Afghanistan. So, um, but that was my last and only, uh, combat, combat time. And then I got out of the military and then right after I got out of the military, I'd, I'd been in actually back to the Middle East, um, I had been in for seven years and uh, I got out on March 4th, 2016. And on March mm -hmm. 8th, 2016, so literally four days later, as I'm packing up my house, getting ready to move for my corporate job, I'd already gotten an MBA and was ready to jump into the you know business world. I was married at the time. Um, but four days after I got out of the military, I got a call and, and, and had to, with, with horrible news, finding out that my best friend in the world 
had actually just been um, killed and stabbed tragically to death, uh, walking down the street in Tel Aviv, Israel. Well, and he was a friend that I went to high school with. We, so we went to military high school together. We were roommates as seniors. We applied to West Point. We went to West Point together. And then we went to Afghanistan together a couple of years later. He was you know, a groomsman at my wedding. Um, he got out of the military two years before I did. The last time I saw him was I flew my helicopter actually to his base in Afghanistan and we had lunch together. It was really, really yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then he got out of the military two years before I did, went to uh, get his, hit his master's degree at Vanderbilt in, uh, in Nashville and was on a, like an entrepreneurship um, spring break trip with his school, with his course. And yeah. was walking down the street in Tel Aviv one night and was stabbed in a random ta- terrorist attack after, you know, after surviving Iraq, surviving Afghanistan. And then that happened. And it was really devastating. And it was a very devastating time for me too, because I was transitioning for the first time. I'd been in a uniform from age 14 to 28. And I was 28 now, half my life in a uniform. I just switched out. It was like kind of hopeful. I knew my my friend was like telling me what how great it, being a civilian was. And, and then yeah. all of a sudden he was dead. And it was it was just so alarming. And, and it is very heavy to, all, to take. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It unlocked all of that emotion and that trauma from losing my father, abandonment from my family to like the wartime um, experiences and getting shot at and, you know, seeing, seeing people die, like all of those kinds of things. And, and then um, I just like jumped into work for, for about three years, you know, I did well my job and I was doing big tech, like sales and account management and working in the pharmaceutical space and was doing well at the surface, but underneath, like I was drinking a lot. I was, I just started using cannabis, like to help with my anxiety. Um, my yeah. relationship with my wife was really rocky at the time because I had no ability to like communicate with her. I'd sit and just like, I just like cry at night, just by myself feeling I had nobody to talk to. And I was a mess. And, and then I ended up taking about, um, six months off of work. We moved to New Jersey for my wife's job and I had left my job and it was 2019 and I hiked the, I decided to hike the Appalachian trail. Um, which is this longest footpath in the world. It goes from mm-hmm. Georgia to Maine. It's about 2,200 miles. And I decided to, wow. uh, before I went back to work, I hiked that that trail in honor of my friend who was killed. So I started on March 8th, 2019, which was three years to the day that he died. And his family gave me his dog tags and I carried those for the whole hike. And it was the first time I had the opportunity to really take a step out of this fast paced life that I'd been living and get out of that fast lane or off the hamster wheel and I just walked, you know, I just followed a trail every day for four months. And I met other veterans and other people who we were, everybody was very, was on the trail for a certain reason, you know, adventure or healing or, you know, wanting to connect yeah. with nature, whatever it was, but everybody had a pretty interesting story. And so very quickly, it was different than just being in the, in the regular, you know, pace of life where you may only have more surface level, you know, interactions on a regular basis, but it was like, you just met people and you instantly formed big, you know, good, deep connections and had these deep conversations. And I got to understand very, very quickly that, uh, that I wasn't the only one that carried really heavy trauma that so many other people did other veterans. I walked with that had seen awful things and, you know, individuals that had childhood trauma or you saw saw it all, but it was, it wasn't just a bit (laughs) big traumatic episode of being on the trail, but it was like, wow, you can really connect with people and see that, that there's so much, healing that just needs to happen. And most of us just don't devote the time to it. And because we don't get on the other side of, of that healing journey, 
we we remain kind of stuck in in challenging headspaces or mindsets in life that aren't serving us. So yeah. once I finished that trail, I was actually beautiful. I, I hiked the very final summit with my friend's family who hiked with me and a really powerful, beautiful experience in in coming to a close on that on that journey. I went back to work and I finally went to see the VA to talk to them about my mental health, which is when they um, diagnosed me with PTSD, put me on antidepressants and I started to kind of get, get evened out to some extent, like things were, I had less, less, you know, peaks and valleys and I was more stable. Maybe my mood, you know, back to the, the concept of, of, of antidepressants more as, you know, mood stabilizers and, and helping manage your symptoms versus the underlying cause of mm-hmm. your mental illness. And then a few months later after that, the pandemic hit. So I was back at work. And all of a sudden I was working remote. So was my wife and we were living on top of each other in a small apartment in New Jersey. And we were, um, you know, the pandemic had all this, uh, these unknowns. We were here in New Jersey, which is very near the epicenter in, in Manhattan. Um, and my wife was in healthcare. So we were kind of like deep in the, in the pandemic, um, the, the start of the pandemic. And it was, yeah. and, and it was like my, all my mental health challenges kind of started creeping back in and getting really bad. And I started feeling like all this negative energy. And I was back to feeling like very unsatisfied with life and sad and felt like resentment and anger. And I just felt like I was stuck in this negative energy fog that I wasn't ever able to escape from. And then I started reading about psychedelics. I actually had a friend Mm -hmm. um, tell me about psychedelics, that they were good for mental health and I'd only ever seen them from the perspective of, you know, of, of, of psychedelic journeys and tripping and, you know, hippies and counterculture and, you know, take them to go to a concert or whatever. And, you know, I've been <laughs> in the military for most of my life. So outside of cannabis after the military, like drugs had never, you know, quote, unquote drugs had never been part of my life. And I even, you know, thought about it. I was like, well, one, where would mm-hmm. I even find psychedelics? And two, like, they're not even legal. And three, are they for me? And four, like, is, you know, somebody with my background, like a West Point graduate, somebody that, that does drugs and do I need that? Am I, do I really need to, you know, do I really need to go through that effort to see if, man, is there something really wrong with me that I should be pursuing this? You know, all these kinds of questions and self-doubt. Yeah. And I eventually just decided um, that I wanted to, to experience it and see what it was, see if there was healing on the other side of it. So I uh, decided to grow my own mushrooms, actually which is, you know, pretty, pretty straightforward process. And my, mm-hmm. my mushrooms were done growing right at about the time when my wife came and told me she wanted to get a divorce after, after over a decade of marriage. And wow. Yeah. It really rocked my world, but very quickly you realize this was July of 2020 that now I had the opportunity to start kind of start my life fresh for the first time ever. Um, and yeah. see what living life on my own terms was like. And so uh, we had a very amicable agreement. We didn't have any kids. We just kind of split everything up. And a couple of weeks, la- weeks later, I put everything into my car that I could fit. And I drove across the country. Uh, this is still 2020 to, to Las Vegas, where I live today. And I have family out here. And I set mm-hmm. up, you know, in my home for the very first time. Uh, first time as an adult living alone. I got married two days after I graduated from college. And uh, as soon as that, that, I told myself that first weekend, once I was set up and I felt like comfortable with my surroundings and I was in the right mindset and my physical setting was good and I, I was going to have my first psychedelic experience. And so that first weekend came, 
and I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know, I wrote down all my intentions and I made sure everything in my house was good. And I was like, all right, I've read a lot about this. Like, here we go. Let's see what this, let's see what this is all about. <laughs> I took a big dose of mushrooms, which is not what I would recommend anybody do on their very first time. And especially you should have like a trip sitter or a facilitator with you. Like this is a big part of what I do with, with our business, you know, is, is the focus of it. Um, but yeah, at that time I was definitely, a a psychedelic um, noob <laughs> didn't know anything <laughs> but uh you know regardless i had one of the most transformative experiences of my life um ever i mean that that singular experience it's about six hours long and, and through it i was I, I was exposed to all of you know the periods of my life that had caused me deep anguish or left scars or trauma you know facing my father and the way i felt resentment toward him, abandoning my family and my family for sending me away to military school and losing friends and, you know, going through that moral injury that I talked about and losing friends in yeah. war and seeing destruction and then, and then losing my, my best friends and, ha and having to work through that on my own and losing my marriage, all those kinds of things to finally get to a point where like, wow, in a, in a, in a one hour or one, six hour, you know, psychedelic session, I could, I can, I can do deep work on, on myself and my psyche. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of it, I came out just like weeping. I was sure I'd taken the red pill, you know, from the matrix and was, everything was gone that I ever knew. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's not coming back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm the only awakened. one in this entire world. <laughs> like I was like, I'm convinced of it. I didn't even want to, I was going to, I was like, maybe I should call somebody. I was like, no, I can't call anybody. It's just going to confirm that I'm the only, nobody's going to answer the phone because it's just me here forever. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Terrifying. But I ended up just face, I actually FaceTimed my mom and I wasn't even very close to her at that point in time. And she answered and I was like, mom, listen, I took a bunch of mushrooms. I'm pretty sure you don't exist and that I don't exist. And <laughs> 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 She was like, okay, all right, let's bring it. turns out my mom had done a whole lot of LSD and psychedelics when she was, uh, when she was, you know, in her teens and twenties. Oh, wow. So, so <laughs> she, but I, I'd never connected with her on that before. And we really didn't have much of a relationship. Yeah. I kept her at an arm's distance for most of my adult life. And, um, she talked me back to reality and we had a beautiful conversation. And, um, you know, as soon as that was over, I was like, wow, what the hell just happened? And then I just, like, I, you know, spent the next few days, like just deep diving deep into more research and watching YouTube videos and like, what, what is, what are psychedelics? you know, going down Reddit rabbit holes and, um, ended up continuing to, um, like grow more mushrooms and take more psychedelics with, um, like solo or with my friends, with my mom, even met multiple times with, oh, wow. with my brother. Oh, nice. Like, yeah. I really started doing this deep work and every time it'd be another revelation, another, you know, something. I've learned something about myself. I'd overcome, you know, I'd have to have had the previous, the previous experience so that this experience, I could now be ready to, you know, move to the next step of my journey or let go of the next, you know, layer and move forward and become a little bit lighter in life. And so it was through that yeah. process that I ultimately, ultimately, you know, started, started my company, the psychedelic exchange, which was, you know, three and a half years after that. But, but getting to that point was just that, that very first psychedelic experience or just deciding to pursue psychedelics in the first place to heal, like took me a whole long time to understand that I did have a lot of traumatic time, you know, experiences in my life that I really, mm -hmm. I had to like really believe that I had PTSD and that I had limiting beliefs that were, were next to impossible to heal on my own, you know, outside of, you know, 
just pursuing talk therapy, trusting in, you know, pharmaceuticals, just assuming that I could just keep, keep going down this path and, and not, you know, maybe not make any significant differences, but maybe learn to live life like, okay. Like I could, okay, I guess, I guess if this is what life is going to be, that's fine enough. Like I don't feel suicidal, I guess, fortunately, mm -hmm. or things don't feel that yeah. hard, but I guess I can just, I can, I can exist in this world to deciding to go, you know, pursue the psychedelic experiences to, to really have a very transformational, like singular experience that would allow me to really like, you know, do, do a hard drive reformat. Right. And like, like, okay, knowing everything I know now, now I can maybe take a medicine, you know, a natural plant medicine that's going to help me take a step out of my immediate existence, take that 30,000 foot view and really see what, what my life has been all about and how to recontextualize it, rewrite my own narrative and then decide where I can go from here. I mean, I'm putting that into better yeah. words than I could have used, you know, at that time three or four years ago, but that was mm -hmm. essentially the, the process that led me up to having that first psychedelic experience. And then the, the realizations and the, and the great awakenings that I had during that, that allowed me to live a much more meaningful, gratifying, joyful existence um, in the time since then. Wow. What a beautiful wow. story, Josh. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. Yeah, not, we <laughs> before we continue, I just want to say Those thank sides. you, Josh, for like, <laughs> we, I, we deeply appreciate how vulnerable you were in the, sharing your story just like that. I just thank you for that. I just, I just want to say that. Oh, uh, Adi, I'm sorry. No, I really no, thank you so much. Thank you for saying that. Feel, feel comfortable Believe with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah. Believe it or not, I do have some questions that I actually prepared <laughs> for this podcast to ask. But... <laughs> no, I, um, I also believe that what you said, that we all go through trauma, all of us have some kinds of trauma and whether and generational trauma does exist too. And, you know, yeah. no one is perfect at parenting, you know, and so that kind of initial trauma, right, from when you're a kid and your parents fucking up with you, you know, that's on its own, you know, something that maybe we all kind of experience. And I do believe that all of us should be able to access psychedelics, you know, and be able to use them for healing. And we know how effective it is. And we know how horrible traditional, you know, pharmaceuticals are for, you know, <laughs> your brain, you know, it's so bad for you. And why yeah. we have the solution right here, or it's not a perfect solution. But it's way closer than anything we we've ever had before. Um, you know, I think we should all be able to have that, you know, and um, yeah. it sucks that just like, you know, talking about war, you know, it's all about money driven, you know, that's the kind of world we live in, you know, and the systems we have, you know, it's brought many beautiful things, but also in the extremes is, the war system, you know, and the big pharma too, which is, you know, making us live less than optimal lives when you have brilliant people that have way better solutions out there. Um, true. I want to ask you about yeah, um, tri tripping on your own. So what advice do you have? <laughs> <laughs> what advice do you have, like to have it to be the most optimal healing trip? Because you said you took it, but then you were yourself six hours just sitting there reflecting but what were you doing what you know like you said you were on your own have you thought about what's the most optimal way to you know take psychedelics that leads to healing you know 
do you have to go in with some kind of intention or um, do you have to be in nature or in your home? Do you have to be with someone or, you know, have you thought about all these things? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great, it's a great question because it's a very open, it's an open starting place to just think about, you know, I think about this now running a company. So my, my company, PsychX or the Psychedelic Exchange, like our whole focus is to create access, legal access and information and community around psychedelics um, and psych psychedelic assisted therapy. So if you're an individual, yeah. you have no place, no idea where to start and, or you're a provider of psychedelic services, we, we aim to bridge that gap and create that access. So you can show up like, where do I even start? And, you know, mm -hmm. we can give, help you understand the different kinds of medicine, the different routes for legal access, the different, um, types of support services that are available to you and, at the, at the core of what makes for the best potential opportunity to have a transformational psychedelic experience is uh, usually split into three, three parts when you're talking about the psychedelic experience itself. Um, and mm -hmm. those are the preparation for the experience, the experience itself and the facilitation of the experience, and then the what's called integration of the experience, which is doing, which is how to integrate the lessons and experience itself into your psyche and your mindset moving forward. There's a, which is why, you know, if, if done correctly, when you have a, when you have a, a powerful, positive psychedelic experience and positive doesn't mean like it's been a all rainbows and butterflies trip. Like it is, it is deep work when you're doing a lot of mm -hmm. these so you can have a challenging trip, which some people might refer to as a bad trip, but I think, I think it's important to differentiate or distinguish between bad trip and challenging trip, like a challenging trip, yeah. right? Think of it like, it's like a, like getting a great workout. Like, did you love the process of having to really, you know, work super hard to, but you love the gains, right? It's all about all the gains on the other end. So <laughs> the gains are important. Yes. The gains are important. You're not just doing it to be in pain, right? You're doing, you're doing, you're doing the pain <laughs> for the outcome. So exactly. Uh, that's the way that that psychedelic experiences should be run. So for me, I had read, you know, a lot of books, I'd done a lot of research. I didn't know where to go. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm a fairly like self-reliant, you know, self-starter type of person and historically had, had been very comfortable, like, all right, like, I'm just going to figure this out and get through it. Mm -hmm. And and that's it and keep it to myself. And that's not the best way to go about you know, life in general, but certainly not about psychedelic experiences. <laughs> and, and since then I've had, um, you know, I've, I've certainly explored mushrooms to, to, you know, I've, I've explored mushrooms to a significant degree because, because those were my first psychedelic experiences. And I, and like you said, like I grew them yeah. myself and when you have access, when, when, when you produce, my, I guess my first foray into producing my own, um, my own anything was learning to brew beer when I was in the military. And I really loved <laughs> that process of like the chemistry and the process of it all. And then finally yeah. getting to take that first sip. And then, you know, even it's kind of like amazing to get a buzz off of your first, your own, your own, you know, homebrew beer. <laughs> and then I, and then I explored cannabis when I was out of the military. So I, I grew my own and started to understand, like there was this deep love that I, I developed with the plant itself and gratitude for the plant as I was learning to grow it and then yeah. learning to use it for my own anxiety. I was living in a, in a, in a state where, where there was no recreation or, 
or or medical marijuana you know program available. So I was like, I don't know, I'm going to go stand on a corner and figure out how to get a drug dealer when in my 30s. It doesn't make sense <laughs> to me. Like you know, so and and I don't trust you know supply or whatever. So anyway, when I finally decided to grow yeah. my own mushrooms, it was it was I didn't even recognize how powerful the idea of of taking your own medicine like really was right like it's not it's not like i like i I followed instructions i ordered you know i ordered Mm -hmm. ingredients or equipment and mushroom spores and i and i grew them and i you know made sure the environment was right and harvested them and but like ultimately then then taking your creation and having such a transformative experience after having put in that effort to get yourself to that point are very different than just maybe signing up for uh you know going to a ketamine clinic and and going to Mm -hmm. do that Still yeah. similar outcome, but there was this this affinity that I had for for the mushroom plant itself because it was like I had I had seen it from a baby to, <laughs> you know, to until I ate my baby. No. <laughs> <laughs> There's but, a deeper uh, connection to it. That's yeah, for sure. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know, like my that's those are the mushrooms that I use with like my mom or with you know that I microdose with or whatever. But I you know since then have. I've experienced MDMA, you know, um, which is set to be legalized by the FDA this year, potentially for the, for the treatment of PTSD. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. And it's got incredible, yeah. I mean, it's incredibly impactful, like two, uh, over two out of three individuals, um, in the research trials after, after a set of three MDMA facilitated sessions lose their PTSD diagnosis altogether, which is unreal. Wow. Like it's so so mm-hmm. impactful to cure underlying conditions of trauma as opposed to just treating symptoms and in a in a set period of time it's not like well we'll just do this for a few years and see see how you see how you're doing <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah so i've experienced that ketamine you know ayahuasca um dmt like a few of you know the the, the traditional psychedelics and and the ones that are you know available more more pharmaceutically these days yeah and each one has its own kind of experience but the itself and each you know there's a spirit of the medicine each each medicine conveys something differently to you um but by and large the psychedelic experience is very similar um i mean things like things like dmt or um you know which are natural 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 molecules like those are those can be very extreme psychedelic experiences because they you know so something you could say inhale and you will have an intense, very rapid experience where you're all of a sudden in this psychedelic realm, you know, in a different dimension and you are interacting with the universe and with, you know, God-like entities and you're having these really profound experiences and then you're <laughs> yeah. right back into your body like 10 minutes later, but it may feel like you were there for an eternity. Right? Like that's like a, that's one kind of psychedelic experience, but these other kinds, it's like MDMA or ketamine or psilocybin or ayahuasca, where you're in a ceremony or in a session for, you know, two to eight hours and you are doing the deep work during that time of like, really like the, the medicine is, is bringing you to your different traumatic experiences and showing you the things that you need to see. So what you're experiencing during that, first of all, there's the preparation. And I think the medicine is going to give you, the medicine is going to put you in a state of mind when you take it where you're very like neuroplastic and you're able to re mm-hmm. really like go back in time in your psyche to those things that probably sit in your subconscious that inform the way that you view the world and that you interact with the world around you. But 
the medicine yeah. is the is kind of like the portal to that to that uh, headspace. Um, the important thing that you need to need to do during that time, right? Like for me, I always wear an eye mask. It's it's one of the not always, but almost always, right? Like this, the hallucinations are great, but if I'm doing deep work um, and I'm inside, you know, and I'm in a safe yeah. space, I got an eye mask on. I've got headphones on. I'm listening to like a curated playlist that's you know that I've chosen, so it helps me. Like um, there's an organization, Johns Hopkins University. Um, in mm-hmm. Maryland, they have, mm-hmm. they have one of the leading psychedelic research centers and they have, there's like, there's like a well-known Johns Hopkins playlist that, um, they actually publish. Yeah. It's like a lot of classical music, right. It's, it, it, uh-huh. it takes you through like, this, you know, like this big mind, you know, soundscapes that allow you to, um, like that kind of keep your mind moving without clinging to things too much. And anyway, there's the, there's the interesting. Yeah. So there's the preparation, which is, um, where you should write down your intentions. You should have some idea for what you're going into the experience to do. Um, and then yeah. you go into the, the ceremony itself and you kind of like leave your intentions at the door and you just tell yourself, and this is why a good facilitator is important. Tell yourself it's time to surrender to the experience and to the medicine. Like mm. the more I try to control, the mm. more difficult this is going to be. And mm-hmm. usually what your intentions, what intentions you set, they make their way into your experience itself, but also the medicine is going to take the med- mixed with your psyche will take you to, um, where you need to visit in your mind to have, like, they will show you the things that you need to see essentially. And then when you're in that, yeah, like yeah. for me, I remember having the experience of like living and dying a million times and and seeing life from the perspective of my father, you know, who, who had died and, um, and, and feeling like I could actually connect with my mother for the first time, you know, like heal my relationship with my ex-wife, like all those kinds of things presented themselves during that very first experience. And then, you know, you it kind of goes on a trajectory and it's, you know, you peak, you're in this really intense, um, you, you feel it, you feel like the intensity of the experience that you're in a different headspace than you've really ever been before. I mean, completely different. And then as you resettle yeah. back into, you know, you come back for your landing and you, you settle back into it. It's not like that was just all encapsulated in, in that experience. Now it's, it's also carried into your mind going forward. And there's even brain scans that show like your, your brain before, during, after a psilocybin session. And it, you can see there's like, there's parts of your brain that are lit up that weren't lit up before. And a lot of new connections that are connected wow. that weren't there before. And so, you know, that yeah. something phys- physiologically has taken place Wow! and you feel it mm-hmm. emotionally too. And it's like, wow, now I, I really feel like equipped with new tools that I didn't have before. Like I've learned something and now moving forward, my life is different. And then that's why I talked about integration, how important it is to then decide you know, you have to, you should be journaling for a few days afterward. You should be really like not making any major decisions for a few days after. Like some people will come back from a, <laughs> from a big psychedelic and they'll sell their house and they'll, you know, give away all their shit. And they'll like, like you shouldn't make any big decisions like that right away. But, um, but for mm-hmm. real, you come out of it and you've like changes have happened and, um, and usually it's very enlightening and very eye opening. It could be sometimes terrifying or, blissful, right? All that, you know, all aspects of the emotional spectrum. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah. then when it's, when it's over, you get to then decide 
I think like with a lot more intention, intentionality, what you, where you're going next, because the psychedelic experience, what I've, what I've found most important from a healing mentality is that it helps you sever those anchors that you have to the past where you're still yeah. holding yourself hostage, holding your mom hostage, your, you know, your, mm -hmm. your third grade Spanish teacher hostage. Like if only, you know, this had been different than this, you know, who I am today would have been different. Instead, you sever all those yeah. things that don't serve you anymore and you arrive firmly in the present moment as an inevitability with the ability to tell yourself, oh yeah, all of those experiences, like I'm not who I am despite those experiences. I am who I am because of those experiences. And yeah. I can- Forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness, mm -hmm. exactly. For the first time you can experience, for me it was the first time that I could really experience what true forgiveness was, which wasn't an apology from somebody else. It was, it was me allowing myself to let go of the poison that I was holding onto in my heart in terms of resentment for my childhood mm -hmm. or anger at the U S government for sending me to war, whatever. It was just like, mm -hmm. let go of all that. Like, like you're, you're never going to get that. I once heard a, 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 a quote that said, forgiveness is accepting the apology that you'll never receive. And I thought it was a really powerful quote because it, it made a lot of sense to me that forgiveness is not something that comes that you allow when somebody else does the right thing to make amends for something that, that you perceive that they did, right? It's your perspective. It's their perspective. Yeah. Nobody goes through this life for the most part, like intending to be an evil person to another human being. Like I don't, I don't believe for the most part, right? So it's not like we're walking around, oh, like in debt in, in terms of the actions or the words that we've used and we owe those to other people. Forgiveness is like, is just is allowing yourself to let go of the need for things to be a certain way or to have been a certain way. And instead just arriving in this present moment saying that like, I'm grateful, I'm grateful for this day and tomorrow morning, I'm going to be grateful when I wake up then and every single day of my life yeah. is going to be an incredible experience. And the only thing I need to decide is like, how do I, you know, what am I going to, what am I going to, be hopeful about in the future and how do I gear my life toward that without, without still being anchored to things in the past that, that no longer serve me and that I've found the ability to wholeheartedly let go of. Yeah. Um, I have a comment and then a question to, <laughs> to provide. So the first comment is from what I've understood of your description of healing, it sounds like there's a lot of vulnerability there and in that vulnerability you really learn how to just like let go of everything you said sever all the anchors of your previous traumas and from what i understood taking these psychedelics it kind of teaches you how to let go and teaches you how to be vulnerable so once you're in that headspace you can learn from it it's like a learning experience and once you're you're removed from that you try to remember those lessons that you learned while you were vulnerable and try to apply them in the real world now continuing on this comment the the only issue is that i notice in the in the real world when you are that vulnerable most 
most people haven't been in that mental space. They haven't achieved that that state of being that vulnerable. So when you are vulnerable to them or like more vulnerable than they are used to, they might see it as like, this is very unorthodox behavior. This is not, not normal because most people are still clinging on to their traumas. Um, that's, that's for the comment. And for the question, I wanted to ask you about non-psychedelic mushrooms. So for example, uh, lion's mane what do you what is your opinion on the, on those mushrooms yeah I, I love to comment on vulnerability Saeed I think it's really important to recognize what what that really like what that really means and I think I think for yeah just to just to respond to that comment to me so I have a, a like a you know as I was going through my my healing over the last few years, you know, I've, I've integrated a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, activities into my life, like meditate, a meditation practice, like, you know, writing gratitudes and saying affirmations and, you know, those like cold plunging, you know, whatever, right. Like the, the, the things that are good for you that help you, um, holistically, you know, in, in terms of your journey to wellness. And so for me, one of the affirmations that I actually say every day is my vulnerability is my strength. And I actually heard somebody the other day say vulnerability is a superpower. So I've recently changed it to say my vulnerability is my superpower. And I think it's a really interesting concept because it completely- It's a great slogan. Yeah, it completely changes (laughs) your relationship to the things that you know, in the past you would think of, oh, I'm vulnerable about that, vulnerable about that. I've got to put on a false front and pretend to be something that maybe I'm not so that nobody can see that I have these fears and these, I'm nervous about this and I don't want anybody to know about that. When what I found, yes, psychedelics are, are kind of could be a fast track to you embracing your vulnerability. Um, but what I found more than anything is that being able to lead with vulnerability as opposed to leading with mm-hmm. bravado or, you know, machismo or anything like that, right? Like lead, leading with vulnerability is, is the most, um, what's the word? Disarming, like way that you can operate both disarming and, yeah. um, and, and it helps you connect, like make real human connections with other people very rapidly you know it's like you're not showing up with you know when you're in the military like you have all your ribbons on your chest and you have like i have my ranger tab and i had all this you know kind of stuff and i've been to combat you know successful in this way or that way right you're not showing up like like that anymore you're showing up just as a human being and you're able to connect with other people so much easier because you're you're not looking for these points of comparison and it's not you versus other people you're looking for points of connection and you're just leading with an openness and that vulnerability that allows for other people to feel very comfortable than just being in your presence. And you create then that, 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 that space that other people can feel safe, you know, safety around. And in that safety, that's where you find, you know, deep, meaningful relationships. That's where you find the ability to create, you know, meaning, meaningful, lasting friendships and, grow with other people and know that it's not like a game of who's better. It's a game of how do we Mm -hmm. create a rising tide environment for everybody to 
just like, like all I want is for my friends and my family to live an abundant, happy, blissful life. So how do I be a part of that instead of being like, well, you know, I got mine. So, so catch up guys, you know, kind of thing. It's like a whole different way to, <laughs> yeah. to look at life. Mm -hmm. And I think that the, back to your question about the, um, what, what we, what I would call functional mushrooms. So you have psychedelic mushrooms and then you have yeah. uh, gourmet mushrooms, which, you know, maybe there's some crossover between his categories, but gourmet mushrooms like shiitakes <laughs> or things you can eat, right? And then there's mm -hmm. functional mushrooms like lion's mane or cordyceps. Um, you know, that there's there's quite a few different and more that are coming up, you know, pretty new all the time that that you can, you can you know, like reishis, you know, everyone has a different function. Like I've, I've, or I've had some, a lot of different types of functional mushrooms, but one that I do use um, daily, if not almost daily is lion's mane. And a lot of them work yeah. very well together, actually, like the, the, the godfather, I guess you could call him of mushrooms is, is a, of psychedelic mushrooms is a guy named Paul Stamets. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you've ever heard that yeah. name, but he's, he's, you know, the, one of the biggest proponents, he's like one of the, you know, longest running expert mycologists, you know, alive today. So he's been doing, he's got so many patents and has discovered ways in which mushroom, not just psychedelic mushrooms, but functional mushrooms can be, can be trained to like clean up oil spills or to cure, you know, cure ca cancer, like incredible things because they're a very intelligent wow. organism. Mushrooms are actually closer, uh, evolutionarily biologically to humans than they are to plants. So that fungi are in their own species. Wow. So like when you're walking around yeah. the forest underneath the ground, like the, you know, anytime you pull up dirt and you see, you know, you, those strings that are all attaching, you kind of break them as you're pulling dirt up or, yeah. you know, something is decomposing and you see the mold or the fuzz that's, those are all forms of fungi, um, that are, that are, you know, like bacteria or penicillin or, um, yeast, you know, like fermentation, all of that is are fungi based activities or organisms. Yeah. So there's, they're very intelligent, hyper intelligent. Um, and they work, work together, like in a, in a network, like the World Wide web, um, kind of thing. And mm -hmm. the, the, so each one has a different kind of capability. Um, and it, it does, you hear a lot of them referred to kind of as like nootropics now, nootropics, like smart mm -hmm. drugs, essentially. Um, because yeah. they, they aren't just doing something to you in the moment, but they're also creating some longer term, longer term adaptation. But I brought up Paul Stamets before because he has something called the Stamets stack, which is like stack is referred to as like when you're laying on, layering on different medicines together um, that have a synergistic yeah. effect. So, so they're greater than the sum of their parts. And um, mm -hmm. the Stamets stack is a microdose, uh, a microdose um, dose of combination mm -hmm. of psilocybin, like a very small amount of psilocybin. Mm -hmm. Microdose necessarily yeah. means um, sub sub perceptual essentially. So you're not taking enough to trip. You're taking like less than a tenth of that amount. No hero dose there. No hero dose. Yeah, yeah. It'd be like yeah, five grams would be a hero dose. It's it's like literally like a tenth of a gram, so a fiftieth mm -hmm. of that. Of okay. Food. Yeah. Plus lion's mane. Plus often in the stamen stack at least is vitamin B three or or niacin, which um, is kind of like a circulation agent you get this like red flushing on your skin that lasts for a few minutes if you take it but the combination of those three is supposed to be very good for a combination of your your creativity memory focus 
and um, and then you know the, the vitamin B3 I think helps your body just circulate it a lot more effectively. So microdosing and using these different functional mushrooms, um, they don't need to be in combination with psychedelic mushrooms at all. But the functional mushrooms, they certainly do have a place, um, and yeah. and I think that you know they can be very effective. Lion's mane is also if you cook it, it gives off a, a very lobstery or crabby kind of flavor. So they make very good, like vegan or vegetarian, um, lion's mane crab cakes. That's another. Oh, really? Another wow. one for you. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> alternative uses for mushrooms. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Solving hunger and depression and trauma and everything in between. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You've learned a lot today. What do you think, Saeed? Um, that, yeah, there has been a lot of information to to process there. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for sharing all of this wealth of knowledge about your experiences, your emotions, mushrooms, their healing. I'm sure whoever's watching this definitely learned a lot from it. Um, and I thank you again for being this vulnerable with you. It truly is a superpower. Oh, thank you so much, Sai. Thanks. Thank you, Ali. This has been a, I mean, I, I just looked at the time. I was like, wow, this, this has really flown by. But, <laughs> but I've been the one talking most of the time. So I apologize for taking up all the air. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that's, what, that's what happens sometimes. No, no, if, you, if you ask me an open question, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just keep going. Just keep going. Just yeah. Keep going. No, I really did appreciate both of you guys and, and one for having me on and two for um, your insightful questions. You know, a well-asked question really, really gets a lot a lot more information than, you know, that causes me as the interviewee to be able to, you know, think about things from a different perspective and put different ideas together that I hadn't, um, I hadn't put together before. So I appreciate the way that you guys um, allowed me to just kind of riff and, uh, and ask questions that opened my mind in new ways too. So thank you guys so much. I, I, uh, I hope, uh, you, I hope we talk again. And if you ever have any questions, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Perfect. Of course. And uh, where can people find you, Josh? So you can just for the, for the audience. Yeah, you can find me uh, at, uh, at psychx.com is my company, P-S-Y-C-H-E-X, like Psyche X, short mm -hmm. for the Psychedelic Exchange. Yeah. Or uh, at, and I'm active at my Instagram at the, T-H-E, Josh Halu, my first name, not my last, or my first name, mm -hmm. last name, or at Psychedelic Exchange is where my company is most active um, in terms of social media. And um, like we just hosted a webinar this past Friday on psychedelics for mental health for veterans. Like we're very focused on military veterans and, and helping, you know, here helping individuals heal and live fuller lives. So yeah, we're really you know going down the path of helping as many people as we can start down the healing journey. Like understand that mental health is not is not a vulnerability that should be you know, that should be hidden deep down inside of you, but should come out to the forefront and allow us to collectively heal together and create space for, you know, each other to, to, to raise, you know, raise the tide as a society and as a community together and all live our best lives. Um, you know, because mm -hmm. it's not like, I don't want to run through the door of, of healing and slam it behind me. Right. I want to hold it open <laughs> so other people can come yeah. and create an abundant life that we can all thrive together. And, and it's just, you know, it's one course. step at a time. So you can follow our journey as a company or, or my journey as, as an individual. I'm very open about all of these aspects because I firmly believe that the future is bright when we put our, when we put our mind to it and keep the door open mm -hmm. for everybody to be involved. 100%.
um yeah thank you guys uh for watching this episode this has been another great episode from a to the show please don't forget to like subscribe and share this because this will really help us grow and talk to more people as well final thing to say duty honor and country I love it. I got it right this time. <laughs> and this is how, and this is how we end the 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 episode. Salute to cover the camera and peace. <laughs>